I think I'm fairly certain I got I got the Rona on Thanksgiving. And then we went uh it's funny because like I got it on Thanksgiving and then that was Thursday. The next day we went to my in-laws and we were there. And then Saturday and Sunday following, we were up in Man- in Manaqua or Manaqua area partying with some friends the whole weekend. And then on the way home at like one o'clock, I was like, man, I am tired. And I was like, yeah, well, I've been, you know, I stayed up till two drinking. I'm full of booze. I'm maybe that the booze is just wearing off. Right. And, uh, and so I got home, I took a little nap and then the next day I woke up and I just had like a headache. I had like a super stuffy nose and, um, and that was like about, you know, maybe kind of like body achy, but not really so much. And then, and then every now and then, like I'd stand up too fast, you know, when you'd stand up too fast and you like kind of not necessarily black out or whatever, but you're like, Ooh, I stood up too fast today. Um, like that happened a few times on Monday. And then after that, it just went down. So I didn't, I never put the pieces that it was, that it was COVID. Right. And then, so then after that, like every day just got better. And by Wednesday I was pretty good. Um, just like a stuffy nose and still, and like Thursday, I like Thursday night, Friday morning, my smell and taste really started going like, um, and you know, like when you have a stuffy nose and it's like super stuffy, like you can't taste shit anyway, and you can't smell anything anyway. So I assumed that that's what it was. And, and my neighbors were having, they had a cold and I was just like, all right, whatever. So then Friday morning, um, my uh, daycare called and my daughter had spiked a fever at daycare and not really like a huge fever, 99 and a half. So they just called to let us know. And my wife was like, well, maybe we should go get her and just bring her home. She seems really uncomfortable. So I went to go get her. And then uh, afterwards we were like, oh, let's just go test for COVID. So I grabbed her from daycare, went straight to um, the COVID testing place. They tested us. And so then I had called, my mom was supposed to come over that night for dinner, my mom and dad. And she, so I call her and I'm like, Hey mom, you know, yada, yada, yada. She's like, Oh yeah, by the way, your dad, your dad has COVID. He just came back positive this morning. Sorry. I didn't call you sooner. I was like, Oh, well that makes sense. That's probably. So the last time we were together was Thanksgiving. So that's probably when that happened. And then Saturday a test came back. My wife or my, myself and my daughter who's 10 months old. We both had COVID. My son, who's three years old, he was not, he was negative and my wife was negative. So it was kind of, it was kind of strange. And then throughout the next, the next two weeks or whatever, they stayed negative. They never got it, even though we were all in the house together pretty much the whole time. And yeah, my mom, my mom ended up testing positive. So I still like that whole week from Monday to no. Yeah. From Monday to Friday, I kept working, but then the next week they had to close. So we reported the cases, yada, yada, yada. They had to uh, close down daycare for two weeks. So my mom came cause she's like, well, if your dad has it, I probably have it. And I don't need to contribute to case numbers or anything like that. So I will just come over and just assume that I have, I have the, I have COVID. So then the whole week she was there, she was babysitting for, for two weeks while I was working in the basement. And, um, and my wife had no symptoms. She had negative tests and she was vaccinated and boosted. So she was able to return to school um, where she works. And I like, I thought that was always interesting because like, 
I could have coughed on her that morning and she could have had it on her hands and brought it to school. Like, it's not like it, but I don't know if that's, I guess it spreads through the air, the more I read about it and whatnot. But anyway, so yeah, she continued to work. And then, um, uh, and then after the two weeks, my mom ended up getting testing positive for COVID after that. And she started getting the stuffy nose and whatnot. So then she stayed home and yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of a, a wild few weeks, but both my wife and I are like, thank God it happened before Christmas. Like, and we're just done with it now. Like got no issues with it. Clearly like Charlie is not, who's my son. He's, he's not like affected by it or doesn't get it or anything like that. Cause I mean, my 10 month old was slobbering on his face, right? <laughs> you, you would think that that would cause, cause them to get the Rona, but anyway, um, yeah. So that was, that was Rona for me. How was, what was it like for you? Well, so I got back from Montana where I took four friends, essentially. I didn't have a tag myself, but it was like a guided trip, but they're friends and it was just to go with them and take them and got sure. back on the 13th um, of November. The 14th was a Sunday and my day job lead for a school district. And we had a big team meeting crisis meeting because we had a, a student death the day prior. Like when I was traveling back, I got word that we had a student die. Um, so we had this big team meeting for about three and a half hours on Sunday, the 14th. Um, and basically the next day started getting bad headaches, uh, Thought I had, you know, a migraine because that's the only thing I had. I used to get those years ago. Um, then little <coughs> few days later, <laughs> and it's gonna happen. I we might, yeah. The COVID so, cough. <laughs> I know. Well, well, really, I basically had the headaches bad for a few days. Um, I had a day where I could not basically move. I had aches and I had no energy. I basically just slept almost, you know, to like a 24 hour plus period. Yeah. Um, I did not lose taste, did not lose smell, didn't have like runny nose. Um, I uh, really had these aches and this fatigue and the headache. That, those are my big three. And then uh, two weeks after or so, like I developed this, this cough thing that you'll hear a hundred times in the next, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes. Um, so I'm just assuming it's related. Our whole family was positive. Um, my three are 12, nine and seven kids didn't even didn't phase them. They just had a positive test. You wouldn't have thought they were, they were sick at all. My wife had a day where she was a little sick, um, maybe a day and a half, but she's kind of a, you know, she's like superwoman running races and she like ran, you know, like the next day, um, of course, not at her ability, but she pretty much worked out through it and cause she was positive too. So yeah. uh, it hit me the hardest and I, I still do have some fatigue. <laughs> I'm not, I, it's probably just cause I'm old, right? Like I have some, I got this fatigue, like, yeah, I mean, I can barely get through like a, a, a nine hour day at work. And I just kind of like get, by the time I get to the end, and it's just like, I'm, I'm white, you know, and, and I'm usually a guy that that's why I have two businesses and a busy day job where like, I just don't stop, you know, I'll, even if my day job's a 10, 11 hour day, I'm usually doing something, you know, to kind of improve those other businesses or whatever. I mean, anything, right. you know, um, 
just even hunt prepping, like I always do something, you know, and I just, the, so since I've, so for about a month, that's just not been the case. I'm just, mm-hmm. I just don't do anything extra anymore, which ironically has impacted my, my personal hunt season this year a little bit. Um, there's days like, like this last Saturday, could have hunted. My daughter had a swim meet in the morning. It was actually over by in Wittenberg, you know, and there's all kinds of land and some good deer in that area. I, I easily could have just, you know, drove, and I thought about it, drove separately, went ran around on some land that I used to hunt or whatever, but I just, I, I didn't even have the energy, which is really weird for me to say. Yeah. Um, you, it, you know, it's like a whole weird new thing, you know, but, you know, kind of related to this season, you know, having, so mine was a couple of weeks ahead of yours, right? Like smack middle of rut or, you yeah. know, some good time um, or a bad time to have it. And I didn't really hunt much, to be honest. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> my goals were friends success. Like I referenced that Montana trip. Mm-hmm. I, I really I get attached to land and areas. And I've been, I've done the Montana thing four, four times. Plus I've been out there fishing a lot even just on scouting trips that I do a little fly fishing. So I've been there quite a bit. And I, I have all these spots, if you will, like across the state that are, they mean a lot to me and they're yeah. all unique and they're different. So I kind of designed the, the trip where I, I take a group and we hunt our way to the West, you know, so okay. we hunt the side and we just keep going and we see all different kinds of country. It's a big run and gun mission. I've been doing this for a long time. This isn't a new thing. Um, you know, so that was a goal was friend success, you know, plus I had some other things, uh, a good buddy here in Wassa known for a long time that, you know, he wanted to really, really help him shoot a, shoot a really good buck. Um, well, ironically piece of land that, that we have access to, we got booted off that, um, you know, right, right before November, um, you know, which has happened before. And it's kind of connected back to this theme, this, this theme that I've been dealing with and thinking a lot about this year is just how, you know, land access can get taken away from you like so fast, you know, and yeah. um, it's happened to me over and over and over and over again. I mean, sometimes it's happened because I've killed a really good deer. Someone didn't believe that could happen. Then they boot me off. Right. Or, yeah. you know, sometimes it's because uh, uh, just new people want to hunt it or, you know, it's, it's just all these different weird scenarios. And I've just, felt per I feel personally like I've had just the weirdest luck for my own hunting related to this um so that's why I do spend a lot of time wanting to help others like I've I've been blessed man I got a shop full of big deer um I just I like you know I know me and you had a plan right we we're gonna you know I was yeah. gonna come over um I was really looking forward to that I know it didn't work out for a lot of reasons on both sides right but like that was what this year was going to be about for me mm-hmm. um you know and the the <laughs> I got some, uh, some buddies and some good deer and I'm really, really happy about that and proud. And it's just the best thing, man. It's like to see somebody else have that success, especially if it's like their best ever and to watch those emotions versus try to like feel them, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's just awesome. You know, and then, then the other thing I focused on was my oldest son. So he's nine and I wanted him to get his first kill. Sure. And so we, he did the rifle opening day way up North. Um, you know, we, we sat some, uh, family land in Iron County, like where there aren't many deer and, you know, and eight o'clock, uh, spike corn comes in and 
you know, he spotted first, like, do you want to shoot it? Yep. You know, so I just ran the camera and he little yeah. nine-year-old just drilled a spike in the heart. And uh, that was, so that kind of made my year, to be honest. Like, I just, I'm, I'm good right now. You know, <laughs> that being said, as my energies come back, um, I'm heading to Missouri on the 26th, taking my old man and we're going to, He's going to gonna rock the muzzle loader and I'm going to bring my bow and we got a couple pieces of land down there. We're going to try to reestablish, um, took a couple of years off of Missouri. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to start going back now. And, um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm not buying a tag until my dad shoots though. So I might not get to hunt myself, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, That's I'm nice actually getting, you. yeah, I'm getting some energy back for, for this now, you know, looking forward to it and, kind of his christmas present you know i'll take him down yeah. and yeah so yeah that's uh you know the the whole starting back on where where you started there and is like i mean the rona it is it is what it is and everyone's experienced it in some way and capacity by now um or i should say most people but um moving forward to, to whitetail hunting and that was just you know matt and i were talking before the podcast and and i was like well let's just we'll just talk about it because we're going to talk about it anyway so why not chat about it because it affects our it affected our deer season right i was i wasn't it didn't necessarily affect affect me nearly as much as you but when i got it it was at the end of gun season in wisconsin and that next week is is always muzzleloader in wisconsin and i rarely hunt that and I got the, um, I got some new Cuddy back Cuddy link cameras that are out there sending me photos. And since I set those up, I set them up the Saturday, Saturday, the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, not three days, but whatever, in eight days or nine days. And, um, I have not, I finally got a good buck on camera last night. So that was, that was interesting. And it's a buck that I've been shed that I've got four or five pictures of all season. And I think I saw him on the hoof too. So, um, but that, that being said that I wanted to jump back to the, the lessons. One of the things we wanted to kind of cover in this podcast today was lessons learned and Greg Glessinger on the last podcast I had also brought that up and he was talking about, uh, we touched on it a little bit in the fact that would you lease or buy land if you could and leasing being uh, obviously a much smaller investment, but you could lose the lease next year. Right. And, and Greg said he would always buy land if he could, because you're guaranteed that the improvements that you put in this year, you know, essentially you're guaranteed not to get kicked off next year. Right. Would, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel the same way as, as Greg, honestly. I mean, if, if, if we take money out of the equation, right, if we just, what could you do? Um, I think that's what the premise is here. I would always buy. Um, the leases, leases are trouble, you know, in a lot of, they can be in a lot of yeah, ways. And the, the question I framed to Greg was uh, a lease of 160 acres or buying land of 40 acres. So like, you know, you, you have, you have the opportunity to hunt more ground, but you also have the opportunity to lose that ground versus less ground, but you're not going to lose it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this a different, a, a, a certain direction, not, not all eight, 
acreage is equal, right? So there's so much that goes into that question. It's a great question because of that. It's what 40, you know, and what is what are the characteristics of that 40 versus that possible 160? Because I'll tell you, there's there are 40s that'll hunt better than some 160s. And, and so you just, I think people do sometimes get caught up in the quantity of acreage or just there's so many other things. In fact, one of the things I do for people is I have a 100 point scale, basically, that that measures 10 factors or 10 characteristics of any piece of land that somebody wants to lease or wants to buy. And I, I strictly go by that. I won't hunt anything or spend time lease buy or permission that scores less than a 75. <coughs> so that's that's actually how I start. Can we talk? Husband. Can we talk? Can we talk about that? Your scale and yeah. how you rate that? Uh, yeah, a little, probably a little. little bit. Don't need to give away all your all your secrets. <laughs> and Matt, no. yeah, and Matt. So if you guys don't know Matt, um, Matt's got a company called the Deer Nerd. He sets up properties, works with people who own property to improve their their land, and not just not just the land, but how they hunt the land. Like, don't hunt. You know, if your land only sets up for north winds. Don't hunt it on a south wind. Just stay out of there. All right. And and things like that, like strategies around hunting, when you want to hunt, what food plots you want to plant, where you want to hinge cut. Do you want to set up a stand outside that bedding area? Do you want to hunt mornings? Do you want to hunt evenings? Or do you want to hunt midday? Do you want to hunt only late season, early season? All that kind of stuff. That's that's what Matt does with, with people. And that's why I certainly enjoy talking to him. And Matt and I were going to hunt together. And he was going to come to my property. I wasn't going to tell him anything about the property and he was going to go hunt it for a weekend with me. And then we were going to have a podcast afterwards. Um, and, uh, and that was going to be delayed until 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for a couple, couple reasons outside of our control, but yeah, yep. I, I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, that's an awesome premise to really, and that's what I want to unpack a little bit more about what I do and what I've developed over the last 25 years with you. It's a lot easier to actually show you um, than probably say it just on sure. a podcast. There's a lot that goes into it. It's really creating that that three to five year strategic plan for killing the oldest buck on every property. In a nutshell, that's what it is. And a lot goes into that. And, you know, and I'm looking forward to that. We'll, we'll this is terrible (laughs) so matt and sorry for everybody listening that is that is matt's covid cough that is like stuck around he's trying to soothe it with some um with some bourbon uh let's 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 do a promo here what is it no promo here we go local time timekeeper notch bourbon whiskey it is a local distillery to his area so he's trying to use that as the old, the old cough medicine here. Grandpa's Working cough medicine. a little bit, you know, and I want to apologize to everybody who's going to listen for you on your behalf, honestly, because it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get through and, and cut it out a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, so you were saying there's, you won't hunt a piece of ground that's under a 75. Correct. I know Correct. that that's part of I I don't want to call it like a trade secret, but it's part of how you do your, your thing. So certainly we don't need to need to just like uncover every little thing, but at least give us an idea of how you frame, how that framework looks. Yeah. I'll start with, with the first, I'll give you an example. And then this, this will be one part. It's, it's one 
it's 10 of those 100 points, if you will. Um, but I look for seclusion, right? So I, I have an example back a few years ago where the first lease that I took in Missouri, you know, this is a long time ago, it was a 60 acre lease. And the reason why it was much more valuable than, than it just being 60 acres, it was actually embedded within a two square mile section of land that had no homes, no roads. And it there was an easement a half mile to get to the closest point from a dirt road. So if you can picture that in your mind, a large rectangle with a tiny rectangle inside of it in the middle. So as soon as I saw the map of it, like the plat book and the aerial, I just, I told the guy, yes, I was in, I never even drove over it. Like I was in Wisconsin. I'm like, I'll take it. And all I wanted was that seclusion, right? So while there's a little bit of a challenge with the walking in only access, um, you got to ma manage that, right? Because you could also ruin your property if you got to walk through a, a mile or a half mile of cover, uh, especially whitetail. But this one happened to lay out very nice. There was good access to it, but it was long access. And basically my point is in this, the next year, like about 20 miles away, I got into a 160. So ironically, your, your premise, a 40 and a 160. In this case, yeah. it was a 60 and a 160. And the 160 was double the cost, but I had a friend coming down. We wanted more land. We wanted two pieces, two different neighborhoods, complete. I mean, they were actually 20 miles apart, but we wanted that because we wanted to keep learning Northern Missouri. Like there was value in splitting up, right? Yeah. Well, that 60 hunted 10 times better than the 160. So if you only went by acreage, you'd be like, well, I'll take the 160, but the 60 was better. In fact, you could hunt two people at a time on it, even though it was only a 60 and the majority of it was straight CRP. It also had what the other property didn't have. And it's another factor I measured it had elevation. So elevation is, is huge. It's the second and most important factor when you're picking out hunting strategies, land, whatever. That's why I was really excited to see yours because I know you got some, some variation where you're at, yeah. right? So there's a, way, there's a way to hunt elevation, but there's also a reason elevation and diversity and it can make your a property more appealing. So back to the premise, to me, I, I can't help. I mean, this is what I do, right? Like I can't help but say, well, well which 40? And which one sixty, right? right. Um, but but I do I do agree with with Greg. Like you know, if if possible, you want to make that purchase. You know, you can take a, a mediocre forty, a forty that scale scales on my system, maybe like in the 50s, 60s. You can make that as a seventy five. And that's the other part of what I do is I make properties better for people when they buy them or lease them. You know, um, so that's why I would say he's right on. If you can buy, buy. You know, I've had some pretty, pretty bad lease experiences. And I'll, I'm just going to tell you about one. I did lease another piece in Missouri. This would have been about three years later than what I told you about from one of the national lease companies. I'm not going to name it because I'm not that guy. I don't like to be pointing fingers or whatever. And I don't really think that they're at fault for this, but I leased it and it was an extra piece, you know, spillover. Um, but I haunted it or oh, the opening afternoon of rifle that year. I was not, <coughs> I was up a tree for maybe 30 minutes and I actually had a rifle pointed at me 
where a guy drove a truck along the neighbor through the neighbor's cut cornfield, drove onto the lease that clearly onto the lease. And he was basically sitting in his truck looking about at me at about 100 yards and watching the whole back of this property. And he, he took a gun right out the window and pointed at me in the tree. I filmed it because I don't think he knew I had a camera with me. And I literally, soon as soon as he kind of drove away about 20 minutes later, I got down, I had the license plate, I had everything, whatever, got out of there. But my point was, I, I was up that tree with little kids, as a dad, with little kids, in you know nowhere in Missouri, just got again. I'm not scared of much, but still, it's like I don't know who that is and who would point a rifle at somebody for about five minutes, you know, on a piece of land that's clearly leased because I even had it, uh, you know, posted. And I just thought that was was you know a, a pretty bad experience. So leasing doesn't necessarily, um, you know, really protect your hunt. I guess yeah. that's the moral of that story. You know, oh my so God. I'm very careful when I lease. And <laughs> I don't know what I do if I don't know. I, you know, you're telling me that story. It's like, do you go confront the guy? Do you not confront the guy? Do you just call the cops? Do you just leave well, the lease? Do you get out of the what, lease? And what let- I try to do, because I'm this guy, I have to be honest with you, is once they left and I could get down, I mean, I was up in a climber, I had my camera set up. I mean, I wasn't very agile or able to just jump down the tree and go after them, right? Um, But I did. When I got down, I did the best I could. And I was at the back of the 80s. I had about a half mile to pretty much jog. And I got out of there because I was pissed. I'm going to be honest. I was not pleased. You know, so I did the best I could to get to my truck. I drove around a little bit. I never found the truck again. <laughs> Man. But, but I'll tell you, you know, so so what I've actually done <coughs> lately is if I'm going to lease a piece of land, I'm not doing it through like a brokerage. I'm, I'll lease a piece of land if I think it's worth it from somebody that I actually know or from somebody that's just a landowner, I'm not going to go through a broker. And again, I'm sure those businesses are fine. I'm not saying that anything to do with them, but my point is, is there's no control there, right? I don't actually know the owner of the land. I don't know the neighborhood. I pretty much am going off of what the company said, you know, yeah, it's, it's good. And we've talked to the neighbors and whatever. Well, clearly that's, it wasn't welcome in that neighborhood to lease a piece of land to an out-of-state person, right? My truck had Wisconsin plates, you know, Uh, you know, so my, my point is, is like, that was, that was a pretty bad experience. Um, And it really, really turned me off of leasing unless it's like, you know, somebody, you know, maybe a trade, you know, like, Hey, if I can have a week here, I'll do something or whatever. I think those, those more like organic personal relationships are probably better. Yeah, I would. I mean, hindsight on that, I, I would say that that would make a lot of sense because if if the owner, if you make a deal with the owner and the owner's neighbor comes and points a gun at you, there's repercussions for that immediately in that neighborhood, right? Like what the hell are, you know, they can actually have a con- conversation. If If this is some dude, you're in Missouri, the guy owns that 80 and he lives in Florida and he's never there you know, and he just has it. So he gives it to this brokerage to then lease out to whomever. Cause he doesn't want to handle it. Right. Yeah. There's no repercussions to that guy. 
Like that guy's like, oh, that's, you know, Billy Bob's from Florida and Billy Bob's never here. And we hunt this every year because he's never here. But now they have these jack wagons from Wisconsin on it. Get them the heck out of here because we're going to go drive that tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And it was, yeah, you do what you're right on. And, you know, and you, you know, even when I called the company and again, it's not necessarily their fault, but it's like, Hey, I waited all year to come and hunt this piece. I drove 11 and a half hours, you know, I got some money invested in it. I, I really didn't get a hunt in, you know, it's like, you know, what, what, again, not asking for anything, but it's like, they got to know, like, I don't, that kind of sucked. Right. And now again, they're not liable for anything. I get all that you know, but it's just, to me, it just taught me a pretty big lesson about your premise, you know, and, right. um, it, it, you know, I, again, I would agree, uh, that if you can purchase, purchase, um, you know, I haven't personally gone, I've, I've owned land. I've never bought a big hunting, you know, a big hunting farm. I went a different direction with, with, uh, the stuff that we own, but, um, I don't know. So, so what, uh, so what about like permission-based um, like, is there, have there been any properties? I mean, I'm sure you've lost properties that are just straight permission-based. Um, like you mentioned, like you shot a really nice buck, so then they kicked you off or somebody else wanted to hunt it. Is there any tips, tricks? And I have never, actually, that's not true. I have had permission on maybe two or three properties rather than me personally, rather than go ask somebody for permission my biggest concern when I ask for permission is that you knock on 30 doors, you finally get permission and the, and the land sucks and you put all this effort and there's four other, five other guys hunting it that you don't even know are hunting it. And they've been hunting it for the last 20 years and they have their stand set up, yada, yada, yada. So I just figured, well, why not just go into it knowing that anyone can be here at any time and just go after the public. So that's been my like strategy um, in that route, in that sense. And, um, so I don't have a ton of, I don't, I don't have like hardly any permission-based stuff. Yeah. Uh, odds are if you, if you don't know the property or know the owner or whoever, if you can't hundred percent verify, like, yes, nobody own nobody haunts this ground and you get permission and it's just yours, which I think is very rare nowadays. If you can't completely verify or be confident in that, what I tell people is you just have to assume that that's kind of like public land. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a great example. Sure. I had this, this year even, um, and it was during my COVID bout during the rifle of season of Wisconsin. I have permission from, from a good buddy through, he's got permission for him and I on this piece of land up by um, Athens, Wisconsin. So North of 29, it's a great piece of land. And I'm very blessed that I, you know, I was invited to just go hunt it, you know, whenever you want. Um, so I did take a ride over there. I can't remember which day I was pretty sick, but I, I went anyway. Um, it's pretty easy to get to. It's not very secluded, doesn't score very high, but it's a pretty neat piece of land. But I needed to go somewhere, right? So I drove up there. There were three trucks, three um, parked on this. It's an 80 and there was one on one end and then two on the other and that could have represented what five, six hunters, whatever. And then to top that off, then a neighbor <coughs> left a note on my truck when I bow hunted it one afternoon that they had a new crew <laughs> that had permission on the piece to the would have been the east. 
So where last year, the first year that I went over there, I never saw a vehicle or a soul. And I hunted it at like three, four times. And it was just nice, quiet place to get away. One year later, there's a whole crew on the east side where there was nobody hunting. They even trucked blinds in and stuff. And then on the piece at, you know, I have access with through a friend that has access. Um, there's trucks all over. You know, it's like, you know, you just you just got to assume. And apparently, you know, we found out that, yeah, the person who farms the little piece of the tillable, their kids have permission to hunt it. And we just hadn't crossed paths bow season ever because we don't go up there. We almost never, but they do bow on it a little. And then they <laughs> rifle on it. They just, they just take it over. They have oh, all kinds man. of people in it. I mean, just, you know, so you got to almost assume that's the scenario, especially in Wisconsin. I'm just going to yeah throw that right out there. You know, and I've, I've had that even happen to me in Iowa. My last year I had a tag in Iowa a couple seasons ago. I, beautiful land we've had permission on it since 2007 even though i've only hunted it twice <clears throat> and i happened to draw a tag on a terrible year where there were there was another crew hunting this land um when i was going after the the buck of a lifetime and we had a shed from um that i didn't find a buddy found that i even did end up seeing that deer late season it was an awesome experience but i was I was on foot going after him uh, after Christmas and I, I, I kind of got him to stand up out of bed and I just, there's nothing I could do. Climb around my back, pack on that, bow in my hand with no arrow, kind of like it, like an idiot, just standing there. And, you know, the funny thing was he was exactly where I thought he would be. Um, that was the first time though I laid eyes on him. Right. So it was a win. Like it was a win. I'm like, okay, I got within 30 yards of this deer and I didn't spook them, but I didn't kill them, take soup, whatever. Right. But that was the, that was such a hard year. Cause that was the year that deer was going to die. There's no question in my mind when I showed up for my rut hunt, like early season, earlier season, there's all kinds of people online. They had pop-up blinds set up and we've never seen that before. And so I ended up running into the guys. They were awesome. Super nice guys from Iowa you know, I, we had great conversation, exchange numbers, but the whole point of it was I waited all year to hunt land. I thought was only me. Right. So I, right. my strategies were based on no other hunter pressure for my like buck of a lifetime. Well, that wasn't what happened. Yeah. You know, the one only thing that, that helped me even get eyeballs on that deer was this, they were very, they were very nice and honest with information so I was able to talk to them several times and say, did you guys kill that deer? And they were honest about, they no, we never even saw it, whatever. So then I went back late season, which I might not have done. I might've actually pulled out of there and went so, like somewhere else in that zone. There's some public or whatever. Um, so I'm thankful for their partnership because I was able to at least get eyeballs on that buck, which was, which yeah. was good. I mean, I'd rather have them dead, but you know, I mean, you take what you can get, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's interesting. And you wonder, you know, one of the, uh, one of the um, benefits of having people hunt public ground is really, you can cross off spots too, right? You can, you can start to cross things off and same with, same with private. Like I know that one of the pieces that I hunted um, a buddy of mine, his family owns, and he invited, he invited me to out there to hunt for a couple of seasons when I was in college. 
and there were two two guys that also hunted it and then one of the guys hunted it with his kids and he's got three kids so all all four of them would come out every now and then right and they had they had the place kind of staked out and whatnot but nobody it was a huge valley um and it's 280 290 acres is big piece um and there was a, it was a huge valley uh and a south hillside and a north hillside and no one nobody wanted to hunt the north hillside because it was too far so i ended up killing this buck right here this nice eight on that north hillside and I had multiple opportunities at other big ones on that north side because no one ever hunted it. I actually ended up killing this this 140 on that property too. I killed him on the south side, which is a terrible hunt. I killed him right off a fence line within I was looking probably 150 yards to a house. Like it was as really I was in the first tree that you got to after you got out of the cornfield, just a giant oak like 20 feet up, tons of tons of branches, tons of cover is is a terrible early season hunt but obviously it worked out really well um but uh but yeah so with those other guys hunting that like that pressure from them and they they were good hunters i wouldn't say one of them was good one of them smokes cigarettes every time he's in the tree right so um which i don't know maybe consistency kills i guess <laughs> i'm not sure but uh but with that pressure it's it, i'm sure it pushed those deers to that north hillside and gave me those opportunities um go ahead a great rule of thumb always if you get invited to a new piece or you are looking find out where nobody's been and go there especially if you have rifle if it's rifle season um i just did that three seasons ago i was invited at a a camp down by uh, elroy actually getting closer to you yeah um great friends josh and scott they're good buddies talk to scott today scott killed a monster this year um and you know my first day down there with him i basically just said like well where where have you guys not walked where have you not been for bowl and i went to that spot shot and ate uh had a bigger buck go through brought scott back the next day told him like between one and two you'll see this deer he actually shot at shot it um, the next day in the afternoon, I just had turned the camera off. I, I literally was sitting with a video, but I had to get back to Green Bay. Um, long story, but anyway, <coughs> they have since shot a couple more bucks there, but they they leave it alone, right? Like set a stand, they're not in there. They know they can just go there and kill. It's awesome. But that's that's that seclusion piece, right? Yeah. Like it, so you did the right thing. You went to that north side, but and that's because that's they all- told me that's yeah. Yep. And, and I got, I got lucky. Cause they, the other two guys were kind of just like jerks and they're like, we're hunting this. You can't hunt this. You get to go hunt the leftovers. Perfect. Right? And I was like, okay, I, yeah, I'm sure. That's fine. It's 280 acres. Like I'll, go I'll take the, I'll take the leftovers every time, anywhere, <laughs> as long as I can be sure no one's gone there every time. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. Um, so what else, um, well, I guess, what, are there any other big lessons or big thoughts that you had from, 
from this season this year? I mean, you didn't hunt a ton and I have some to share, but let's start with you. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, even when I did, did get out, it was very productive. Even, (coughs) even the, uh, couple <laughs> you feel I, I could, Matt Matt's facial expressions when he's uh, about to cough is like I'm so sorry man <laughs> I, I'm trying trying my best right um, no but even like my earlier season bow hunts when I was able to get out I almost was always around decent deer I videoed an, a bunch of decent ones I wouldn't say any monsters but it really helped because everywhere I'm hunting in Wisconsin now it's kind of with somebody if that makes sense basically the permission with buddies so i'm i'm kind of there i really want them to kill i mean that's that's my priority you know so if i go sit you know once and i get some intel and i see something in range or i see a different we need you know we need to set a different standard do something that's still productive so i did have some pretty good, pretty good hunts. Um, just nothing. My passed up a couple okay deer. I kind of wish I would have shot one of them just because venison in the freezer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, uh, that is my current objective is, is I need to put some meat in the freezer because all yeah. my opportunities at, at good does this year, I had a bunch of opportunities at fawns early season. And I was just like, ah, you know, you can go, you can go, but all my more mature does, you know, those two, those bigger does were all during the rut and they were all on the move. And I was like, big boys coming behind you. <laughs> and he never showed. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I got, I, yeah, I do have a couple more. I mean, here's a big one and this might help. This might be good for, for you. Um, Cause you got young kids, right? Um, I, okay. So my nine-year-old shot his first buck, as I, as I mentioned, I have a seven-year-old coming behind him. My daughter's 12. She's a stone cold sniper. She didn't kill a deer this year, but she shoots better than her gun. She shoots better than I shoot any of my rifles. And that's kind of saying something. Um, she's just that kid. She kind of can do whatever. Um, she's really calm. Right. But here's the lesson. When your kids start being able to pull that trigger, your hunting is almost over. I'm gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, but I think it's an important one because I have some buddies that have kids and that even kids older than mine, and they say, "Well, my kid doesn't want to hunt." Well, you you hunted when they were seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. You went and traveled and did your thing, but they, you didn't hunt with them. And that's why they don't hunt now. And I've watched that happen. So I learned from observing that because what's really important to me is the legacy stuff. I want my kids capable. I want them outdoors people. I want them to be comfortable. Those challenges, those, just those adversity that you might have yeah. to overcome in hunting. It's, it's common, right? I want yeah. that for my kids. So I'm telling, I'm kind of saying that it really hit home this year when I had two kids, a 12 and a nine, we had three Wisconsin rifle tags. I had really nowhere to take them really just one little spot up North that was private and safe. And I'm like, how am I going to even juggle this? Like it was, it was not easy. And thankfully the goal was accomplished. My boy shot a spike horn. He's still smiling. You know, um, right. and that's all we wanted to do. Like that was it. But my, my point is it took a lot logistics and, you know, 
bartering, like who is going to go in the morning? Who's going to go in the afternoon? Sure. (laughs) I think that's, yeah. So the lesson is for parents, if you want your kids to do it, you really gotta, you gotta focus on them. Cause if I, again, I've seen people not do it that way and I wanted to not be that guy. And I, and I almost pushed it too far. I'm going to be honest. Cause even up to last year, I was putting a lot of my own hours in tree stands and try, driving around the state, looking at other States. And I, I kind of got, I kind of caught myself just at the nick of time. Like, Holy, like I got to shit. I got to stop. Like my kids won't hunt, you know, I'm coming home and the young one's not, he doesn't even want to see my deer. I'm like, and that killed me. You know, I'm like, Oh no, this is wrong. So, you know, we're shooting, shooting pellet guns in the shop. We're shooting bows in the shop. We're shooting 22s. I totally shifted. And, and I, you know, 80% of my time is on them unless I'm working on for client stuff. And, you know, so that's a big lesson. I don't know. I didn't mean to get that, uh, you know, no, 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 that's cool with you, but, um, I think it's the importantest one, right. Most important one right now for me. Um, and I wanted to share that. No. And I, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that that's not only for kids, but also for, for your friends who you want to start hunting or your friends who are interested in hunting right? Like if you're, if you're hunting a piece of public by yourself and you're like, man, I wish I could get someone else out here and and you want to break down a piece together. That's always so nice when someone else is there as well that had, that you can bounce ideas off of or whatever to get them going. You can't just hand them a bow and go, all right, I'll see it's, it's three o'clock now. I'll see you back at the truck at seven Peace. Right. That's not going to work because they're going to struggle like a mother. Right. Yep. And they're going to, they're going to not want to go next time. I did it to, I did it to my neighbor. He hasn't played soccer in like, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. And I was like, Hey man, let's let I play in this indoor league, yada, yada, yada with these old men. And, and I'm not trying to be a dick, but I, I played, I played soccer in college. I, I played a lot. And to me, the league is like an old man league where you're like hanging out to him. He felt like he felt like it was an all-star league. And he was like, dude, these, he doesn't, and he doesn't even want to come back now. I was like, dude, it's just, it's for fun. No one cares that you're not that good and it's fine. The only way you're going to get better and you're going to want to play more is to go. And, and he, he's just not even interested in going. That's kind of his personality, but at the same time, I kind of threw him to the wolves right away and I should have done a little bit better. Right. That's a great example because we, we can do it to hunters all the time. I mean, you're, you're exactly right on. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I mean, and for me personally, like, yes, I got a three-year-old. I'm trying to squeeze in a couple squirrel hunts. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything. He literally, I got to daycare today and this was, this made my heart really big. Our daycare lady goes, Charlie, what did you do for lunch today? He goes, I shoot elk and Turkey. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, yes. So um, and his, his new favorite thing, which, which also kills me is when I come back from hunting the next day, he'll be like, dad, you shoot deer. I'll say, no, no, son. I didn't shoot a deer. He goes, you do it better next time, dad. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then his next question will be, did the deer run away? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yes, it did. <laughs> you know, but, um, 
again, back to, back to the friends thing, back to getting those kids involved. I, I 100% agree. Like if you want, if you want those people to be involved, you can't throw them to the wolves. You have to, you have to nurture it. You have to make it fun. And that's one of the, one of the big reasons, um, like whenever I go out with newer people or with younger people or something like that, I always try to go to a spot where you can see a lot and you're very likely to see a, a deer, even if it is a fawn. Right. And I, and I don't take them a mile and a half back and truck them through a swamp. Um, you know, it's like, you need to cater that experience, even if you are sacrificing your own hunt. Right. I mean, it's, it's what's going to benefit you in the long term. And if you want your kids to hunt, you got to put in the time. If you want your friends to hunt with you, or you want to grow another hunter, you gotta put in the time. Absolutely. Same with, same with fishing, same with all the outdoor stuff. Like you can't just expect the kid to be able to cast a pole really easily. (laughs) Right. So no, that's a, that's a great lesson. Anything, anything else on, on your docket? Wait, before we get there, I realized we never covered, we touched on it, but we never covered the factors that make up your score for a piece of ground. So we, we covered elevation and we covered seclusion. Are there any, what are the other factors that you look at? And we don't need to dive into them, but what are like, or was that by design? Were you trying not to and yeah, put you know, me I in think, the corner? I, yeah, I, no, I think, I mean, I think that those are the, those are two big of the biggest ones. You know, I don't want to okay. unpack like the, you know, several years of, of development, you know, and sure. things like that, you know, but, but I guess um, I, it's not that I don't want want to help it's you know it's just the bread and butter of, of sure. what I do. no 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 that's fine um, yeah you know I, th- <laughs> I would say that i would say that from and i don't know what those factors are from you so flat out you know elevation seclusion are the two that you mentioned that's that's important food is another big one yep. entry and exit is another big one uh pressure is another big one and long longevity that you can be on that property is another big one. Yeah. Um, if it's one thing, like one thing I always like, I want my end goal when I'm 65 is to be able to look at a piece of public ground in a state that I've never been to go spend a week there and pull out a, a two and a half year old or better. Like that is, that's my goal in the next 30 years, 35 years to be able to do that. And the more I listen, the more I watch, and the more I talk to hunters who have who have far more experience than me and, and far more deer on the wall, a lot of them look at it. And, you know, I heard the, the juries were looking at, a, I watched a video on them breaking down a piece in, a new piece of land. The juries shoot tons of deer and they have all the resources at their hand to, to figure out a piece. And they looked at the, this piece of land and they're like, yeah, based on this, you know, this is probably a property that we won't know how to kill a big buck on for at least four years, you know, because it was too, there was too many variables that they didn't know that only time in the stand during season will tell you, which includes a lot of those factors that we talked that I just mentioned, like, like pressure and deer movement and food sources and changing rotating food sources and food plots, new food plots going in. How does that affect the deer movement? You know, it doesn't always affect it the way you think. You think you drop a food plot in and you're perfect and then everything's going to work. And actually now they're more nocturnal than ever because they don't need to go out into these fields 
because all the food's back in here and then now you've set up yourself poorly um right. to win so yeah I, yeah i got it i got that's it that is that's an interesting um comment i've never i never i didn't hear them i never i haven't watched what you're you're referencing you know the jury's looking at a new piece um i i, I guess my approach is a lot different and obviously the juries get to hunt for a living and have a lot of resources and access to anything and everything they want right um and they're very 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 successful i mean the probably i mean what most successful family in hunting industry period maybe so give them a lot lot of credit five yeah a lot of of credit um i and they make the shots i mean that's 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 the last 10 10%, right you got to be able to kill it um and that's what they can do uh some people can't make the shots um and that's so that's huge i guess my <laughs> my comment is i mean i i don't know like it, that that sh- surprises me i'm kind of speechless like i i, I can look at a piece of land in 2 minutes and you're either hunting it or not so I'm, I have a different way. Mine's all math, science. It's all analytics. It's all objective. And maybe that's why I, I'm different that way. Um, it's either a yes, no. And if it's a yes, um, you don't, it's a yes, because I wouldn't manipulate the property, right? So I'm going to go all the way back yeah. and say this. the whole premise behind what, at least what I do is that leave the deer alone. So the deer are either there or they're not. They're going to be there or they're not. And if you can get to them and kill them within bow range without manipulating the ground, the more you more manipulation you have to do, the less of a property it is. And that so that gets to what you're saying. Your goal is because um, you can't manipulate public ground necessarily, right? Right. So. I look at things a lot different and I understand that. I've had conversations with people for years about like this, where they're like, I'm not sure what you're saying, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's definitely a different approach. Um, I've never looked at a piece of land and said, I don't know how to hunt it, I guess ever, you know? Well, so yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing that and yeah. they were handed an aerial map <laughs> with some topo yeah. lines on it as well. Love and it. said, how would you hunt this? Yeah. And they were like, oh, this is, well, uh, you know, based on this and this probably here, but there's poor access over here. Maybe we could get access from this farmer to come in this way. Maybe we could potentially plant a food plot in this field down here. Um, but I don't know how these ridge systems are, are really going to lay out and how these deer are bedding within this big block of timber. I don't know where they are. I don't know how they're using it. So time time will tell us that information is kind of how it laid out but uh, yeah and I, i'm 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 very i'm paraphrasing there because it's like yeah. i don't know maybe 10 no minutes. i got i get that and I, I think that's the the majority approach though right it's we're gonna we're gonna manipulate the the habitat and we're gonna we're gonna control the deer right and i don't mean we as in they're saying that i'm not talking about anybody in particular just i would say more of a majority right like we're humans. We're gonna we're gonna manipulate the right. deer uh, versus we're just gonna go kill the deer on their terms, you know. And I just I get more satisfaction personally on the latter. 
you know, and that's, yeah. it, it served me well and it served my clients well and a lot of people well. Um, it just, <laughs> it's a different approach. And it's born out of uh, growing up hunting big woods that is public only that you can't manipulate. Right. You know, you can't go hinge cut um, a maple forest in the UP that's extremely valuable and owned by the county. Like right. you can't do that, right? You have to figure out how to get to a mature deer, an old deer on their terms when you, when you hunt that way for years and years and years, you know? Um, you know, so I, I mean, it doesn't, that kind of hunting doesn't lend itself to, you know, great video per se, or, you know, what's a lot in the, in the media, but um, there's a satisfaction component and a learning component. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I yeah. And I think it. that, I think there's, I, I said this on a previous podcast, there's something, there's something to be had for, for both scenarios right? The ability to own a piece of private ground where you can manipulate and understand how that influenced deer movement. That's a, that's a different set of, of joy or feeling of accomplishment versus not doing anything except for scouting in the spring, then coming back in the fall and setting up. Right. And, and there's, there's pros and cons and, and things that are, uh, what I want to say, um, sense of accomplishment in both one, both of them, you know, Hey, I planted this food plot. I set up the stands. I hinge cut this two years ago. There weren't, there weren't 10 deer using this property. Now I have 18 and two of them are, you know, Pope and Young's and I, and I made them now, right. There's a sense of accomplishment in that, but there's mm -hmm. also a major sense of accomplishment. And man, I didn't, I didn't have to manipulate this at all. The deer were traveling. I figured it out. I figured out how they were moving. I figured out where they were betting. I didn't have to do anything and I'm able to still do this. So I think, I, yeah, I think there's sense of accomplishment for both of them. It's just what you're after. And I'm currently running both. Like I, and I'm learning, I've never had private. So I'm learning the sense of accomplishment that it comes out of that. And maybe in five years, I don't like it. Maybe I, maybe I stopped doing food plots and I stopped doing ABC and I well, just go back to normal. Yeah. I mean, I would keep in mind that private public run and gun or not, or habitat improvements every, every year, right? Like regardless of the, the approach, the, some of the fundamentals still come into play and you know, those, I mean, I, you know, yeah. we've talked about them and I've seen you talk about them and you know, that, that human pressure still does matter. Mm -hmm. You know, now if you can take the whole, if you can take October 15th through November off, right. And if you have that private ground, right, you know where I'm going with this and you yeah. got a couple leases in a couple other States and you can put the time in on those habitat improvements, those food plots, you will kill, you'll get a shot at, that most mature buck, I guarantee it. I mean, you, you will, because there's just a, the deer is not going to never, ever come in your presence, you know? So there's, that's another way of looking at what we're talking about, this dichotomy between a different styles, like that habitat, like that, that style, you're probably, you're putting a lot more time in overall, because it's, you're not just doing the work on the property. You're probably sitting more right now. Like if you, 
here's my example. And I'm not saying my way by any means is better. It's just what works for me. Mm -hmm. And I've had to develop it because of necessity. I haven't had money. I haven't had, I haven't been able to spend money on leases and buy land. I've I had, don't know. I don't know why the schools don't pay you more. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Public yeah. education's where the money's at, bro. Oh yeah. Tons. I mean, I'm rolling in it. Like it's amazing right now. Yeah. I got, uh, we could, we could. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing so hard. Yeah. I mean, you almost made me, um, no. So, but well, I mean, like, especially back in the day teaching and stuff like that right now, I'm, I'm whatever, got a good gig, but you know, so like there, so I, I've developed into who I am, like by, by sheer survival and having to do things a certain way, plus being taught a certain way, you know, up in the middle of the big woods. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think I'm not by any means discounting the other way at all. However, I, I would challenge anybody to say if they really logged, how much time do you really have to put in on the, I'll call it the more modern approach, right? And invest in, in you know, how much time do you put in? And then how much time are you sitting and stand before you kill? You know, if I, if I think about at least the, uh, if I just went, I'm picturing my shop outside here, my list, the shoulder mounts alone. Again, now I don't shoot 200 inch deer. I mean, never have I got an arrow in one and I didn't kill it. And I, it kills me every day. I think about it every day and it, I, I rolled a bunch of dice and I failed. And I, I that's totally, it's going to kill me and break my heart till I die. Cause I, I was very proud of getting in that, that deer, whatever. Um, but out of my decent deer that I have there, almost every one is a first set kill. And most of them are public land. And they're decent deer for the northern Wisconsin, yeah. northern Michigan area. And even the ones I shot in the south were basically, I set that stand that day or I was on, I was walking with a bow, you know, or, you know, still hunting. I'm proud of those kills. They're not huge. I'm not going to be on the cover of a magazine, you know, but they, they made me super happy. And in that moment, I wanted to kill. I've also yeah. passed up deer bigger than the ones I have because of the context of the situation. But I guess that's where where I would put down like, okay, um, if it's going to take me three to four years to kill a mature buck and I might even own that land. Wow. You know, that's like mind blowing. And I'm not, again, I know that's not literally what, what you were talking about, but like, I just think like the, the, I don't want to do it that way. Right. Like it's the natural, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting too excited, but no, no, no. I, 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 I feel you, man. Um, and there is, it's all in, it's all in what you want out of it. You know, none of us are very, very few of us are hunting for survival anymore, right? We can go kill our meat with a credit card, right? So, so we're really, we're in it because we enjoy it. We enjoy the food that we get out of it. And we mm -hmm. all enjoy essentially the chase, the chase right. of it, the elusiveness of it. The fact that not everybody can walk out there, the fact that you fail far more than you succeed Absolutely. and the ability to keep pushing forward. And I think like, you know, back on one of the things you mentioned earlier, that's something that, that I think every kid, that's something I'm going to push onto my kids is failure is going to happen all the time. And the, the thing that matters most is that you continue to try and you don't give up. Right. And that's, uh, I mean, any whitetail hunter that has hunted for more than two years, and hasn't quit understands exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. So 
and I, yeah, the hunting style, all in what you want, man. And if that's yeah. what you want, that's, that's fantastic and do it and crush it and be good at it. Right. Just be good at what, what you want to be good at. Right. Is exactly. the, the big piece. And, uh, yeah, I mean, first sits the best sit. I I've, I've heard that. I, I don't know how many podcasts I've done where that has come yeah. up. Right. Yeah. And even, even Greg, he is a property, a property manipulator. If you want to call it that he is a, he's a pro he, he transforms his property, he plants food plots. He sets up blinds, he hinge cunts, all that stuff. He still says first sits best sit for sure. Yeah. You know? And so, and I know I got off track there, but I, that's where I was headed to your point. I'm glad you brought us back to that. Like that fundamental of first at best it, that fundamental of like keeping, leaving the deer alone, like yeah. at a certain time that still comes into play. Right. So if people, and this was my point, and I, I wrote about this a while, a couple of years ago, if people have the the private land and and like and get get their motivators filled by manipulating the land which is exciting which is fun i've been there too i've done it i help people do it i do it for people there's there's a lot of satisfaction in that if but if they apply some of those fundamentals to that when they hunt that property and not just keep hunting it because they put that work in or because it's their land that's when I think th- the game can change for people. And I, and I know you, I've seen you do that, right? Like you have your land and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this public land. I'm going to do something different. And, you know, and, and some people do, but I think that's the key. It's like, you can apply this to, to your property when you need to, and be super successful in both. And yeah, you know, it's probably the key, right? Like be able to hunt yeah. in the different styles and, I, yeah. And I, I would, I would agree and and disagree with my ability. You know, I find myself wanting to go to the private, even on days that aren't optimal because a, I, I like, I want to learn that property so bad and I want to understand it that I'm willing to throw shitty sits at it just to, just to really confirm, yep, that was a shitty sit, not doing it again right um and just write that one off the list because then until i do it i don't know um so i do find myself myself doing that but i also yeah i mean when i have the time if i know i have a couple great spots on public ground during the rut and if i have a weekday off where my where i drop my kids off at daycare my wife goes to work and i'm off of work like i can just shoot right to that piece of public and be hunting you know, drop them off at seven o'clock. I'm hunting by seven 30, you know, and I'm in it for the whole day and I leave at three 30 to go pick up the kids and I get a few hours in, right. And it all works out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. You can't, uh, you can't, you can't alter your property out of the fundamentals. Like yeah. you just can't, like you have to put those into it. Yeah. Oh. The wind and, you know, and just mm-hmm. wind moon phases, you know, just, uh, there's so many layers to, it. and that's, that's what we all love about hunting, right? There's these like philosophical approaches, like we're talking about, then there's doing the work, then there's trying to plan hunts and then there's executing those hunts. Like that's what right. I love about it. There's, there's all these layers and that's, that's what gets us all, you know, up like jacked up, like we are. Right. And that's, yeah. That's awesome. And that's, that's what makes hunting the, probably the best, I don't know, best sport, best challenge, best thing that we, we can all do. And, 
um, you know, really just energizes me and fills my bucket. I, I like how that it does that for other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one of the things that uh, this might be, this might be helpful to someone who's never done what I'm going to say before. So when I started traveling with, with a, a really good, good buddy that I, I just don't get to hunt with anymore, but always was a friend all the way back, you know, when we were younger, we started traveling together. We did Illinois a couple times. We, you know, different parts of Wisconsin. We, we went to Iowa sheds first and, and all this stuff. And one of the things that I started doing when I transitioned into going like solo down to the Missouri's and Illinois, I would hunt all day. So because I was on this tight timeline, right. And I'm wired, like I want to maximize every minute. So I'm found like, okay, I got seven days to hunt. Then I have to go back home to work. Yeah, <laughs> I would, I would, I would set up my days where I would maybe sit in three trees or hunt three little spots based on wind and my travel route, but I would hunt dark to dark. And when you do that, that's another way of really learning a lot of the nuances, deer movement, natural patterns, how they bed, how long they stay in one spot, how much they move. And I, I, if I could, if I could recommend one thing to someone who likes the, you know, I know you've had, had uh, Cody on and some other guys that really do a lot of movement, you know, like, like I do and I always have, if I could recommend anybody wants to get into that, go hunt a state like a Missouri or Illinois, somewhere you never have, get some public ground or get some lease and just take a week in the more in the rut, obviously. So it's worth the time. Just plan to hunt dark to dark and just, just learn everything, figure it out. There's some challenges with, you know, water and with food and how you want to do that. And it's a lot, it's, it's long, but try to find a way to stay in the woods, dark to dark and just chase deer. That, that if one, one thing that's taught me so much was doing that a few times down in like that farm country where there's a lot of bucks and deer act like deer should, right. Cause of the buck to doe ratio and, and you know, and I'll tell you, I mean, if, if you haven't done it, strongly recommend it you know it's yeah. it's work though right you got to move around right you gotta you might be taking a a hand saw and a climber and you might be going up down you know three times but you're working your way around like a property right but you're planning to optimally be where you need to be midday where do you need to end up for that last three hours and I'll, it's so satisfying i mean it's it's taught me a ton and you know if people haven't tried that I'd highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. And, and I would say I would, I would second that, you know, all day sits. I, you know, one of the things that kind of, uh, what do I want to say? It frustrates me sometimes when I hunt with friends or like perfect example, gun season, um, rolled around my dad's buddies rolling to camp. And I really enjoy hunting with my dad. My dad is is not a hunter at all. Like, yeah, one year he quit 30 minutes into first light because his boots were a little wet. And he was like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to go play cards and have a coffee. I'll catch you later. You know, but I enjoy getting out in the woods and 
and he shot a couple deer with me in spots that I've dropped him off. And I enjoy when he does that. It's almost like the reverse of taking out my kids. It's like taking out my dad, <laughs> right? Cause his family just, he grew up in a farm family and whatnot, but he just never got the, the hunting gene. And, and when they did hunt like Brown, it's down. Like we're just trying to get stuff in the freezer. So um, during gun season, I like to spend time with him and he only likes to spend two to three hours in the woods. And then he wants to go get, go get food, go sit on the couch, start a fire, watch some football. So I was hunting, you know, during, during that later rut time frame, that November 12th, 13th, 14th, I was hunting like all day and I would be out there and I wouldn't even consider going back. Um, it's like, okay, how can I, what food do I need to bring? What water do I need to bring? And where am I going to go and how am I going to sit based on this wind direction and what I think, and maybe what I saw the previous day and what section of the farm I'm hunting. Uh, and then, and then gun season rolls around and I know in my heart, it's best to sit all day. Like you should sit all day, especially the first day and the second day, because you're going to get a lot of movement in those odd hours when people are getting up and moving around. Nope. I was, he, I dropped him off and he came back. I said, Hey, just go down this way and go stand there. I was like, when do you want to head back? It gets light at, you know, six 30. He's like, I don't know. I'll probably swing by here about, you know, 10 o'clock or so eight 45. Here he comes, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. We're heading out, you know, and that's sacrificing the time sacrificing for the joy of, of spending time with him. Cause I've put, I've already put in, I put in like four or five full day sits, you know, and then multiple, you know, another, you know, 10 days of morning and evening sits. So I was on like hunt somewhere around, you know, 20. And, uh, and I was like, all right, you know, I've put in a ton of time rifles here. I didn't get it done before rifle. I got to figure out a way to get it done in late season. Right. So that was, that was my, that, that was my strategy there. And, you know, my biggest, I would, I would tie that in before we get off the subject is my biggest lesson learned from 2021 is pressure on public ground. And I should have known this. I, I really should have, but I didn't think, and this could be one, this is obviously, this is based off one year of information and one year of, of failed success and during the run on this piece, but during that first week and second week of November, I got a single look at a mature deer and I had one day of good bucks on my camera now, or two days, I should say. It was like the fourth and the fifth, the afternoon of the fourth and by midday on the fifth. So they were in there on a hot dough, three bucks that were all shooters were in there in that time frame, And I hunted the fourth and I just hunted the wrong spot they were just on a different part of the farm. But from then on, I didn't get another single good buck photo until uh, the fourth day of gun season, which would have been Tuesday. Um, dirt, like, and then I had two bucks right at last light come through together, two mature deer, very likely getting pushed off some other piece and coming through together. They were probably bedded up pretty close to each other, hiding, and they got pushed off. Um, and I, looking back at that, I attribute that to pressure because the previous two years were not that way. There were bucks out there very often, and maybe I put the pressure on too soon. I started hunting the piece October 23rd 
And I took the whole week, October 23rd to the 30th. And I hunted out there every day. And I, I moved around maybe too much. Maybe I should have sat certain stands a little bit more, but I would, I, out, out of those seven days I hunted probably three or four of them on my way into the stand, uh, I would blow out these two does almost. It was, it was like, you know, three or four days of the seven days, there were the two does and they were, would always blow out and run into the property because they were coming off of a field. Then they stop in this like power line cut with some CRP in it and they'd hang out there. And, and that's where that's the point that they would get to in the same time that I would be coming in. And I only have really one option to get into the property from that way. So like, I, I got to blow them out in order to get through there to where the mature bucks showed me they were last year. So into those areas. So it was a risk I was willing to take. And next year, I'm not sure if I'm going to take that, that risk. Maybe I need to find a way to wait, you know, and only go in after an hour of light. So I don't blow them out and there's less pressure and I'm not spooking those does every time. I don't know the answer. It's, it's something that, that we can talk about later, but it's, there's a whole lot of ifs and variables going on there and unknowns because my neighbors also said there's i i talked to my neighbors and of of my neighbors there's 900 acres of those 900 acres during gun season this year uh one of those neighbors is brown it's down he's always got a decent drive party and he's got 400 acres and they usually shoot four to seven deer usually all does and maybe a small buck or so they got a doe on opening day and that was it. And they, they pushed, they pushed a lot. And my other neighbor, same thing, a doe on opening day. So across 900 acres and seven days of hunting or nine days of hunting, there were two does shot. And I, I don't know the reason for that. It could have just been an odd year, could have been bad weather, could have been good weather. I, I don't know, but it makes the, the fact that I didn't, have more encounters during that peak time frame, late October pre-rut during, you know, the heat of the rut first week of November. And even like that later rut second week, third week of November, it makes me think that I put too much pressure on the property. So this following year, I'll be doing a heck of a lot less pressure and very, uh, what do I want to say? Intentional sits with very, for very specific reasons. And on the last podcast, I asked Greg this and I didn't really expand on it too much, but he was like, the first sits, the best sit. And I said, doesn't that take the fun out of it? Cause now you're only hunting once and, and yeah, you're getting, you're getting a nice buck on the wall, but you're not hunting a lot. So you, I, it, and I'm just like, that's, that's the, just being facetious there. But yeah, I mean, obviously you can go hunt other states and whatnot, but Wisconsin's a one buck state for bow now. So it's like, you get that buck and you're done, um, which is fine. Like I'm not opposed to that at all. It's just uh, one of those things where you're so, you're calculating so much that you're not putting a lot of time in the stand. And I enjoy time in the stand. Well, you know, remember too, say you do shoot a good buck in Wisconsin, your first sit or, or one of the first ones. I mean, you still can be in the woods with a bow, right? You got your doe tags, 
so you can still observe everything and enjoy that time and um but no, it, that know, doesn't not according to my wife that's not that's not how it works okay. <laughs> hey, good point you know what and i it's you're not wrong. I, I hope mine didn't hear that, you know, because <laughs> I, I, you're right. You are absolutely right. Um, right. But, you know, but it's also, you take some, so if you think of yourself as more of like a two, two, three state hunter, right? Like, right. This is another mindset shift, right? That you can say, okay, I want to take out a mature buck early then I'm going to go explore, right? I'm going to get that other tag, wherever that might be. I mean, it could even be, you know, where you're at, Minnesota, right? I mean, that's, there's some good hunting there and you're not far, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, and then in all the land learning and all that kind of stuff too. So if you just, <coughs> I used to say like, um, I'm just going to hunt. I'm going to keep hunting. You know, and I've had those years where, I've, I've, I've killed in a first sit and then I've hunted another state. I've shot a deer and I've actually went to another one. Now my wife probably wouldn't let me get away with it. (laughs) 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 But there was a time where I got away with that. So, Hey, but back to your piece, what was, uh, what was all the egg to the the North of you this This year? year? It's always, it's always planted in strips. So it's everything. Um, he's got alfalfa, he's got corn, he's got soybeans. And this year he's actually got a lot of turnips. Um, two strips that connect to us, could connect to our, we, for anybody listening to this, Matt obviously knows my property, but we have like a jut out, like a, a, a square block that juts out into this farmer's field. And, um, and he, yeah, he plants in like 20 yard strips. Everything, every 20 yards is different. And this year, two of those strips that connect to our piece or essentially start from our piece are turnips. Um, so that's why I was a little bit more optimistic about this late season. Um, Cause they're, I mean, these turnips are huge and I, and as I understand it, turnips are a great late season food source. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why I went out and bought the, the cutty link system um, still testing that out. I have no reviews. If anybody's interested in hearing about my preference on that, I, I'm not going to talk to you about it. it. It works so far, but I can't, I can't expound more than that on it. Um, and they're on those cameras are on the, on the radishes or those turnips. And the objective there is not like, it's to save me time from, from being away from the family is really that's that's the objective once something starts showing up consistent once these years start moving in there and the pressure kind of tones down from everything i mean we have this another we have another doe hunt coming up in wisconsin here for the from christmas to new year's uh any weapon doe hunt um in in my county so that's going to put more pressure you know out there and then i have until january 9th to try to try to kill a buck on that property um, and then the public ground that I haunt, I have until January 31st. So I'm hoping that January 1st, to the ninth window, I get some sort of hint of consistency. I'm going to throw a few sits at it regardless, but I just, that's what I'm hoping for. And I'm hoping for some snow, really. <laughs> uh, well, and that's what I was going to say, or uh, we talked a little bit ahead of time about maybe doing some late season strategies. Yeah. Yep. And so 
I just hunted, I hunted that, I actually went up to that Athens piece on uh, Sunday. I had to get out. I had, I have not hunted since before that, or bow hunted since before that Montana trip. And here, so we, there was about an inch and a half of snow there. Now here's how I use that. Now I have like three climber trees on that piece that I'm comfortable with. And I'm, I've only sat in one, two times, you know, the others just once each, right? Now there was cut corn there this year. And then on this, there's nine acres of the 80, it's a small egg field. They left, the, for some reason, there's like a little tiny rectangle of standing corn still. It's like 150 yards by 30 yards. That's, I'm not sure why. I don't know the farmers or anything like that. It's not the landowner. They're actually Madison, kind of your way, right? So anyway, I went there without a plan other than the wind was right. It was a south wind, and I only go there on a south or a southwest. That's it. I won't even touch it. I don't care what's going on there. I'm just, it's just not going to be a thing. So I, I drove there, and I, I went, and all I did was I walked my route, and then I cut the trails until I, I found a mature buck track. So here's what, what I, my takeaway is. As soon as you get snow, you got to go with tracks, not necessarily what you think in terms of food sources. So here's my example. It's perfect because it just happened Sunday. There was a pretty much like a, like a cow trail, like right through the snow down to the mud um, in two spots going south to north. Okay. And one of my climber trees, I could shoot it perfect. Right. And I, I stood there and I looked at it for quite a while. And it, to me, it looked like all those fawns, like I could not see a single, you know, beefy track in there at all. And it's again, fresh snow. So I walked about as slow as a guy could walk and I kept going. And then the egg is a strip of brushy timber. And then usually I hunt on the edge of it. But if you go inside of it, there is a corridor and the deer stage in there a lot where you can get, there's some hardwood, some oak, and you could, there's enough for shooting lanes, if that makes sense. Um, but you do narrow down your ability. You, you'd have to get something to pretty much walk under your tree or just, you got one or two little lanes. Anyway, so I kept going and my plan was going to be, well, if I don't see a mature track, I'm going to keep going into the timber and I'm not going to set up until I find one, or I'm just going to go home. So Ironically, I went about another 40 yards and I got to an edge and there was one trail that was one deer by itself, only came through one time and it was obvious mature buck. And now it wasn't on those two big trails running north-south. It kind of angled from, the, it would be the southeast to the northwest. It kind of cut across those trails. And I just happened to catch it and it was going through a really thick part of that, that staging. like thick timber into the hardwoods. I set right up. That deer came right through. It wasn't a big buck. I mean, it was a decent like eight, like a 110 or so. And I had actually seen it early in the fall one time. I got video of that deer. And so nobody killed it. But my point is, is like, I didn't know that was his track. I just knew that. So I ended up setting up in a new spot and he walked five right. yards from my tree. You know, so late season, if you give snow, you, the tracks aren't going to lie. I mean, they're either <laughs> they're there or they're not, you know? Right. So 
So that's another little, it's a little strategy where if I would have set up on my closest climber tree that I was kind of going towards, he would have been 50 yards. So 50 yards versus five. And the only reason is because I saw that, you know, where he, where right. he had gone through the last whatever day or less, you know? Um, so to just keep it kind of simple, especially if you get some, some snow down there, you know, you might have a vision, like I need to hunt those turnips, but you know, you might cross, you know, something you just have to right. set up on. So yeah. I, mean, I would keep an open mind on that, you know, especially late season. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that is a, a great point. And I appreciate you pointing that out because I'm kind of putting all my eggs in that basket. I had another cell cam to throw up on a, on a trail that was much more tucked into the woods that I like a lot, but, um, but I never, I just never made it over there. So I didn't, I didn't set it up. Um, I was just, I was short on time. The, I will say the one thing about the Cuddy Links is they take time to set up. You don't just strap it on a tree and turn on. Um, they take a little bit of time to set up, but, um, but yeah, that it's a, it's a great point. And the other big point about that, you know, I, obviously I'm thinking food is my primary. A lot of people say late season food is King and food's my primary like target. That's what I'm going after. And that's those radishes because I know that there's a ton. I mean, there's a ton of picked corn. There's a ton of picked soybeans. There's still some, probably some alfalfa like that they've harvested and it's growing back, you know, in that area. Um, but so they can feed a lot of different places. Um, and so then it comes down to who's got good bedding and who's got no pressure and what food source are they after at that point in time, that window from January 1st to the 9th, what field do they like? Where are they heading? And hopefully snow will tell me that. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's my primary focus. And then secondary focus, if I can't get that, you know, that Intel that I'm looking for, then yeah, it's kind of diving in and, and hopefully looking for tracks and looking for, for that information to see what they're doing. Because the other, the other big, um, thing that you pointed out, I don't know if, you know, you didn't mention it, but just because it's a giant trail doesn't mean that's the trail the buck is using. It just means that, you know, that's, that's one of the big things is, is does herd up in the late season and you could have 10 does walk to a cornfield and back in one night. And it looks like a damn highway. Like you're like, dude, this is it, you know, and you sit there and all you see are, you know, fawns and, and does rolling through and the fourth big mature doe pins you and then you're yeah. stuck there and then she blows out and then you're like, shit, you know, I'm out of luck. Versus like what you did, which was really like, okay, this is a great trail, but is there a mature buck track in here? Is a, is there a big boy track in here? You said no. And so then you, you kept moving and they can, they, even though a lot of deer will herd up and you will see big bucks with does in that food source late at night, they might not take the same trail to get there. Right. No, I, and from my experiences, and I can think of a really good, it was a very impactful late season Illinois hunt way back. Like I'm talking mid two thousands with my buddy, Sean, and he was a real good hunter. And we, we did a lot of traveling for way back, you know, pre like social media stuff or whatever. And, you know, we, we had this, I can't even remember how we got access to this, to be honest. 
but there was a pretty amazing property where it had about like a 10 acre food plot in like a flat. And then it had a ridge all the way around it, like a horseshoe. It was, it was phenomenal for late season. I can't, we saw so many bucks, but my point is, is we hunted around that horseshoe for the whole time, three, four days. And I never saw any of the bucks that were decent enough and passed up a lot of them too. They never took the same trail. They, they, they would come in the same and this is another thing I do is when I lay out a property, I, I basically lay out the macro funnels and the micro. And that's a long story and you'd have to see it on yours. Like, like I intended to do that with you when I'm down there. But my point is, is they'll always come from the same micro funnel, that same trajectory, but they might not walk the same trail. And, that, and they're definitely not going to walk the main trail in there late season when they're just going from bedding to food, right? Like the bigger bucks. So a lot of people do that exact thing. They hunt those, those cow trails when it's not necessarily where you should set up. That's the challenge with bow because bow is so much more technical, right? To get that kill shot, you want to, you need to be, you need to really narrow down where you are. Um, especially if you're moving like that and you're not set up on your own plot or whatever. So that's where a lot of this math comes in. You know, there's a, there's definitely some objective data analysis that goes into this tree, not that tree, not that trail. It's gotta be there because you can't, you can say, well, this is where all the sign is, but you may not be able to ever get a shot off there. You have so you always got to be very analytical about that when you, when you're moving <laughs> late season again back to that Illinois hunt. Deer came through the same funnel, the bucks that they <coughs> they did not come on that main trail. I never saw one come on the the cow trail that was there, you know. And I mean, I actually should find that property on Onyx and I can lay it out. Uh, at a different time. I never actually looked back on it. This was way pre-onyx days. Like this right. is way, you know, before that. Um, but it would be interesting because I could draw out like about how wide that that micro funnel was because there was an upper CRP bedding on the next property and those bucks came from there. They basically all made their way to the same entry, if that made sense, yeah. um, but not necessarily not on the same trail. They just right different angles. You know, so it was it was interesting and it was cool because I, I think we put eyes on like two big bucks and like six, seven, you know, like two and a half, give or take, where for down for Illinois, those really weren't shooters, right? Like some okay eights and stuff that we so we were able to watch all that happen, you know, and gotcha. without without killing one. So we had well, like we did shoot one deer down there, but um my point is like we had a lot of observation because there were so many bucks. So we could see how they were all behaving. And I remember I made one stand tree, stand tree change. I moved from my first afternoon, I moved for the next three nights and I never had to move again, which is, I rarely do that nowadays, but I had bucks in range three nights in a row. You know, gotcha. I just, just nothing I really wanted to, you know, to shoot. There was a good half rack I almost killed, but I, I didn't really want to shoot a half rack down there. So. Right. Yeah, no, it, and that's interesting. I mean, they're all coming from different trails, but they're all kind of connecting at that same 
entry into the field where we right where now. we did <laughs> what's that where we didn't have access <laughs> <laughs> yeah right the pressure right the pressure is um no and that's that's a great point because if you're not hunting that direct field edge and you're hunting back in the woods or you only have pressure back in the woods or maybe you're hunting a piece of public and you can't get to that field edge you know you're you have to sit back you know 50 100 yards from that field edge what's the trail that you're using and if you have a cow path versus kind of a solo trail where you just find those big tracks the big tracks are obviously where you want to be not the cow path right so yeah. I think that's, I think that's really relevant in, in a lot of different scenarios. Um, yeah. yeah. So we're, yeah, I mean, we're looking probably at an hour and a half or so here. Um, what, uh, is there anything else late season that, that you think is, is important to touch on food? Yeah. So, so I, I do, I have like two philosophies. Um, the second one I actually kind of talked about, and I call it just new ground, right? Where you're you're willing to move with the sign, the tracks, especially if there's snow. You might try new properties. You know, you might you might actually be able to find some permission for late bow that you'll never get for gun or early bow because someone will be like, yeah, go ahead, hunt it for a couple of days around Christmas. So this new ground philosophy is, is, is tracking basically. It's, it's where you look at a property, like, and I'm looking at yours right now on Onyx, right? Where I look at and go, okay, I know my primary kill is here, here's secondary, here's maybe a third option, but I, I'm not, I don't have boots on the ground. I just know what I'm seeing on the, on the computer, right? So I'm going to go there and I'm going to, I'm going to go primary as long as it's verified with some tracks. If I, if I go there just because it looks good on Onyx, if there's no fresh buck sign, I'm just going, I'm moving. I'm going to go right. to the next best place that I've already pre like e-scouted, you know? So that's my second philosophy. And I kind of talked about that a little bit. My first though, is, is your ground like back, back to September, right? So hopefully if some bigger bucks are left or some mature bucks are left or they move into your property because migration in the winter and especially in the Midwest, or I should say upper Midwest, Wisconsin is a big factor. That's kind of a whole nother podcast, but like um, deer will move that you you have not seen potentially. I don't know how it is by you. I'm just, most yeah. of the areas I've hunted, you get new deer in the area in the winter or you can um anyhow but if you you almost want to hunt it back like beginning of archery after the rifle pressure that deer that are left especially bucks that are kind of beaten up beaten down it's kind of back to they're definitely going to focus on food but they're going to focus on their best bedding cover and i don't even mean thickest i mean just where they can see and that's easy to get to right so little points like little elevation lines you know five ten feet up from the the route they're going to go on they're going to just find easy and best bedding but going to food and they're they're going to take the path of least resistance so it's like early season you know so if you think about that late season archery on a private piece with food a great piece like you you have and like around that area of the state you can you think if you think of it like that like i'm, I'm starting over you're probably going to get a crack at a good deer. 
you know, because they go, they either go back to the easiest way they had it, or a new, a new buck coming in there is going to do the same thing. They're going to go to that. That's because that's what deer do, right? right. If, you, if you ever go to a private piece that hasn't been hunted in a really long time, especially where there's a lot of bucks like Missouri, Iowa, whatever, like literally it's not been hunted and you'll go there. I mean, you'll see the deer, they're, they're walking the path of least resistance all the time because they have ne had never had a reason not to. Right. Well, this kind of comes back into play after all the pressure, the chaos of the orange army, you know, bullets flying around, people running four wheelers and rangers and everything else, you know, camps, you know, people all over when that when this you get a three weeks in, you know, things start to settle down. They seem to revert back to like pre pre rot, you know, before, you know, just yeah, basically eating, bedding and path, not not traveling too far. So, I mean, that could actually help, sure. um, you know, you some ever, folks. yeah, no, that, that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, se September, early October is a bed to food pattern, you know, lots of vegetation, no pressure. I'm just going to do this. Like, it's not an issue. I don't need to go back into this dirty, nasty swamp a mile because there's nobody like telling me I need to, um, I can, I can sit on the edge. Um, or close to this food source do you think have you ever had it where like a buck will like totally revert back to that same type of pattern where like you were watching yeah. him you figured him out you know october 10th right before the pre-rut hit and then you went in there and then he kind of changed his pattern up and wanted to do something different so then you go back in there in january and he's back doing the same exact thing yeah absolutely Okay. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the things that I, you know, I saw one of the bucks that I was after. Um, and, and if I like, and that was, it was later October when I saw him, but he was on a, he was going from food and he was going back to his bed and I have an idea as to where he's bedding. And I, and I saw him on a trail that I had never even, I didn't even know existed. And now that I know it exists, I, I went over and scouted it during rifle season. When my dad and I were leaving the woods, I was like, let me just swing by over here while we're, while we're here. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a unique trail, but it's certainly, and there were three scrapes I never knew existed. There were a couple rubs in there and it's coming off the food and they're just taking a little bit different, uh, of an angle than, than what I had originally thought coming off the food. So, mm -hmm. and you can, I could poke around on that on Onyx afterwards, but I guess one, and that's something Cody, Cody DeQuisto said as well, which is, you know, you can catch those same bucks doing the same thing in September as they're doing in January. It's entirely yep. possible. So if you had an idea in September and it just never connected, give it a shot again. He's right on. And that's, that's a uh, very, that's common, you know, especially get into farm country where deer don't have to migrate far you know, where I'm from, deer travel many, many miles yeah. through the year. Summer ground is not winter ground. And they, we shot a lot of our bucks in the UP in the middle of their transition where they go very far, right? And there's, you can tell because you can look at all the racks. There's almost no similar racks. Like genetics is constantly changing because rut time, it's always different deer. And they head to Lake Superior where there's less snow. Um, but you get down to farm country, 
what he's saying is spot on. It's what I've observed, especially down like even south more of you, like Iowa, that kind of thing. I mean, it's like it resets. You know, that's actually my my note. I just wrote the word reset. Like it's it's like a reset back. Not now again, maybe not for every buck and a lot of bucks get killed, you know? So sometimes it's hard to verify that unless you actually know that, right? Like you see your neighbor yeah. shot it. Well, that's different. Um, but if, if there's still a few around and you got a good ratio, especially the older ones, they're going to reset to having less resistance because they're already beat up. They're not quite right. recovered fully, you know, and then they, they you know, the winter's coming. So right. um, good time to kill them, actually. Yeah. But it's different hunting. I mean, sometimes it can be, you know, zero. <laughs> right. It can be a little miserable. <laughs> yeah, I got to get yeah. some good some good quality quality gear <laughs> hang out yeah. in those temps or a box blind <laughs> right so all right man well matt thank you so much for popping on appreciate it hope your uh hope your rona cough goes away sooner rather than later <laughs> well i want to i want to thank you it's always fun talking to you and you're doing yeah. a great job with these and i feel blessed you know i mean you have some really really accomplished uh, uh people on that you're you're talking to and it's like hey man that's kind of cool you know so yeah. i just i just really appreciate that and i'm a little bit lower key in the industry and because I, I can only handle so much <laughs> um you know but yeah. uh yeah so i appreciate it and you know i do want to i want to give a couple of shout outs so if that's okay i mean you've talked yeah, yeah. to my cousin for sure Derek. i was gonna say talk, talk yeah, about he, deer nerd and all your stuff well not really me i wanted to, to give some credit to some you know so you talked to my cousin, Derek Lauren before, and nope. he's had a heck of a season. So I hope he hears this and, uh, you know, another congrats to him. And I got some other buddies. I've killed some great deer this year too. And some of them listen, listen to all your stuff, man. So, uh, cool. they know who they are and uh, they had a great, great seasons. And, um, it's good to see that and, and that, yeah, but for me, you know, it's deer nerd consulting and I, I love helping and I got all kinds of different ways I approach it for people. I have some cost-effective ways and, you know, then I get into some really big pieces that are uh, people looking to buy those. And that's a, that's like a start from scratch and, you know, do a full three to five year strategic plans for them. And, um, you know, it's a big passion. So if anyone's got that need, whether it's just uh, some quick consulting and just a little bit of help or full on habitat work, uh, that's who, that's what I do. I mean, I don't, I don't sell you anything besides strategy and in, in, intelligence and things <laughs> like that, man. I, I don't sell any products and I got no you know, food plots to push or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's awesome to help people though, especially when they kill. So I love that. Yeah. But, yeah. I, yeah. I think you. that's a, a testament with getting your kids to kill and getting your friends and everybody else. Like you said earlier, that's just as important to you this year as as anything else. So that's awesome. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate having you on dude. And I'm sure we'll talk more, but for now we'll wrap this up. And for everybody listening, you guys enjoyed the podcast, uh, enjoyed listening. Want to hear more, please subscribe, please write a review. Let me know what you think. Really appreciate those. And also helps other people find me and then stick around because we got a bunch more coming and we'll have more strategies and late season stuff rolling through probably like mid January. And then after that, we jump to scouting in the, in the, in essentially that springtime frame. 
and we do a lot of product reviews and things like that. I've gained a lot of a uh, lot of people on this fall, which I really appreciate. All everybody new who's to the podcast, um, but yeah, so we'll do so a bunch of scouting stuff um, in the springtime, and then we'll roll into some product stuff and getting everybody ready. You know, are we roll, what tree stands, what backpacks, what bows, what arrows, broadheads, all that fun stuff that everybody likes to fight over on social media? What's the best? The best is whatever you got and you're confident in. We'll go that route right now. And, uh, but we'll bring you a bunch of uh, kind of detailed information. Hopefully I get a lot of manufacturers on over the summer. It's a lot easier to get people on the podcast than it is obviously in the early November because <laughs> people are wanting to be in the stand. So, all right. Thanks everyone again for listening and we'll catch you guys next time.